verses 1 to 4 says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Father, again, we thank you that while we were helpless and hopeless and dead and blind, that you gave us sight, you gave us understanding, you brought us to life so that we might believe. Father, we thank you that you gave us hope, you showed us our hope was in Christ and Christ alone. Father, we, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And you've now called us to be stewards, to be managers of all that you've given to us. Whether it's spiritual truth, whether it's our relationships, or even the finances that we have. And Father, as we have been brought into your family and just so richly blessed, we pray that in every area of our life, we would be a good steward. We ask that you would now give us understanding into your word, convict our hearts in areas that need conviction so that we might walk in a way that's pleasing to you. And again, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he gave up all so that he might sacrifice himself on our behalf so that we might also be rich, rich spiritually. And Father, we just ask that we would make decisions Go in directions, again, that would be pleasing to you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Usually once or twice a year I do a financial message. I teach it on money, wealth. And uh, over the years, many times we've determined, I say we, the missions committee has determined it for me, um, that it would be during missions Time. And so we're going to have a, a, a message today about actually three different churches. Hopefully we'll get through. Uh, we will get through. Um, we're going to be looking at three different churches and, and how uh, the one church gave to the second church and also how Paul is encouraging a third church to give. That's why I called this message Biblical Giving 101. This is just basic. Basic, but sometimes often missed. So... If you want to turn to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll be in verses 1 to 15. Um, Howard Hendricks, he was one of the favored, I guess you'd say, professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's since passed on to be with the Lord. But the late Howard Hendricks and his wife, Jean, were once having dinner with a very rich man, as he would say, a blue blood of Boston family, <laughs> his whole family. And Howard asked the man, he said this, because again, very wealthy man. He said, how in the world did you grow up in the midst of such wealth and not be consumed by materialism? That's a pretty good question. How do you have all this wealth and not get consumed by it? His answer, my parents taught us that everything in our home was either an idol or a tool. And when it comes to wealth... It's either an idol or a tool in your life. 
It's either something that's an idol. An idol is something that you trust in, that you hope in, that you feel secure in. You hitch your heart, hitch, hitch, hitch like a trailer, hitch your heart to it. And when you have it, you feel at peace, you have joy. But it can, it can be more than just a tool. It may be even an idol in your heart. I find it interesting because as I go through life, you think that certain things just kind of fall off, but you know what? They're still there, things that you have to struggle through. And for me, at times, it's, it's wealth. Lord, I don't want to hitch my heart to what I have. Help me to make it remain a tool. Is it an idol or a tool in your life? How do you view possessions? Is it that, some, is it that, that one thing that you have to have or else you'd be miserable, you would be fearful, you would be anxious, not because you have God, but because you have wealth? See, again, how we view money is an effective, as one man said, barometer to your spirituality. It's just a barometer. How you use it, how you think about it, how you think about other people that have it, and how they use it. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And and isn't that so true? On this earth, whatever you have can be quickly taken away. So he says, don't do it. And by the way, the do not lay up for yourselves is a command. It's not like a suggestion by the Lord. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go in that direction. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Your heart establishes your motivations. Your treasures are there and they both work together. And where you find your treasure, you find your heart. Again, it's a It's a mandate. And really, if you want to summarize, it's this. This is what Jesus is saying. Invest in eternity. That's really what he's getting at. Don't only have for yourself treasures on this earth. Invest in eternity. Invest to the moment when you see Jesus Christ at the Bema. And use what you have. And by the way, it's not just money. It's, it's time. It's friendships. It's relationships. It's your spiritual giftedness. Use whatever God has given to you as a good steward, looking towards that time when you stand before him at the Bema. Dr. Jowett said this, the real measure of wealth, of our wealth, is how much we would be worth if we lost all of our money. Because <laughs> our wealth, again, I don't want to look at wealth as just the greenbacks. No, our real worth is what would be worth <laughs> if we lost all of our cash. Because again, our true treasure is in heaven. That's the only thing that we can keep. Whatever you have in your pocket at the moment, in the bank account, uh, sitting in your yard, your homes, whatever else, we can't keep that, right? We can't keep it. It's kind of sad, isn't it? In one sense, you work, you know, all this, all this uh, stress and everything else, and you've and you got to leave it. Or as I guess the late Larry Burkett used to say, you never see a hearse, you know, being followed by a U-Haul. You just don't do it. So, Paul says in Corinthians chapter 8, Moreover, brethren, this is, and as soon as he uses the word brethren, you can kind of say it this way, this is family talk. (laughs) This is Paul just giving good advice to his brothers. This is family talk. By the way, this is not pastor trying to extract wealth from congregation. In fact, you're going to find at the end, I'm so freed by this message because I don't feel any pressure. 
nothing about like me trying to do something. No, it's nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with pastor or elders, oh, we got to support our budget or anything like that. This is really family talk. This is just a, an apostle, and now this is just a pastor telling you this is what God thinks. This is what God thinks. Matthew Henry said this. He said, how cautious ministers should be, especially in money matters. Now, again, I'm not sure if he was referring to how they spend the money or how they preach about the money. Well, he goes on and says, especially money matters, not to give occasion to those who seek occasion to speak reproachfully. I'm not sure if Matthew Henry, again, he lived 500 plus years ago, the old Matthew Henry commentary, but uh, you've got to be cautious. When it comes to money, you've got to be cautious. Well, part of the reason we have to be cautious is because we, we hold this very near and dear to our heart. We don't like to say that, but we do, right? <laughs> Just try to, you know, be generous at times. Sometimes, and by the way, some people have the, almost, the, well, the gift <laughs> of, of giving. I mean, and there is a gift, by the way. But, and by the way, we need people that have that gift, not to support the ministries, but because we need to learn from them. Just like every gift. Every gift is given so that we might also learn. You, have, you see people with the gift of teaching? Learn from them. Even if you don't have the gift of teaching, you can learn how to transfer truth, right? Same thing with mercy, same thing with administration, but a gift of giving. And, and so, as we look at wealth, or let me say it this way, money. Because again, our true wealth is our, our riches, spiritual riches. Uh, again, I... We have to learn. We have to learn how to be generous. Some of us have to, be, have to learn even more than other of us. And by the way, I'm not just talking to the, uh, the older people or the younger people. I'm talking to everyone, right? You're a teen. You need to learn to be generous. You might even be a, uh, you're not in junior church, you're in sixth grade. You need to learn to be generous. You might be 20, 30 years old in a family of four. You need to learn to be generous. But you don't understand all the bills. But generous. We all need this lesson. You might be at the uh, latter part of your years, and it's, and it's becoming more and more hard to be generous. You, you don't have the cash flow like you used to have. You have all these possible bills coming. By the way, is our world very chaotic? Yes. Is it very uncertain? Yes. Can we, be, can we go into a protective mode? We don't give because, you know, we have to save for the rainy day. I was watching this one... Uh, um, uh, you know, these reality shows, I'm not into them much, but my son was watching this one, Doomsdayers, I think they call it, or something like that. And yesterday, and this guy has got all these, like, uh, semi-trailers, like, are on top of each other, and what he called it was a compound. And, like, he's got food for, like, I think 25 years. But, you know, we laugh at that, and it's sad. He's trusting in himself. He's trusting in his friends. He's not trusting in God. But sometimes this wealth, we start to trust in it. It's subtle. It's very subtle. And again, we just want to see what God says. Now again, money is something that is often spoken of in Scripture. You just take Christ alone. Just his, take his parables. He had 38 parables. 16 of them had to do with money. It's near and dear to our heart. More is said in the New Testament about money than, in, than heaven and hell combined. Five times more is said about money than prayer. And while there are 500 plus verses on prayer and faith, there are more than 2,000 verses dealing with money and possessions. Yeah, money's talked about a lot. 
And so we come to this passage knowing it's important how we respond to what God has allowed us to manage. And I'm going to say that. Not to own, not to, he didn't give us any of it. Anything you have is not yours, right? The Lord is the owner, Psalms 24.1. The Lord is the owner. But again, he's, he's allowed you to manage some things. And we want to become good managers because, again, we stand before him at the Bema. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you stand before him someday at the Bema. And we'll give an account of everything that God has allowed you to have. Okay, So let's look at the tale, as I would say, of two churches. You have the church of Macedonia. By the way, you see that in verse 1. Bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Macedonian churches, churches, and then you have the church that he's writing to, Corinthians. Okay, Now again, the Macedonian church, church is, known as plural, was the north... Do you have that? Do you happen to have that? Just to, this is the top part of Greece. It was Roman. Oh, I wish I had my pointer. Oh, no pointer, but you can see it right there. Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Okay, just kind of think of those top three, because those are the churches that he's referring to. And, and what happened was, as you know, uh, the Apostle Paul did three missionary journey, journeys. Went through one time, second time through, especially the second time through is what he's referring to here. Second time through, he went and, and uh, ministered to those churches, those groups of believers. And what he was doing is hoping that they would get a, an offering for a third church, which was the church in Jerusalem. Okay? So this is what this whole passage is talking about. Paul referring back to the Macedonian churches that had taken an offering to a third church, which was the church, the the group of uh, Christians in Jerusalem. And he's telling the story to the Corinthians, their church. Okay, so you got the Macedonian church, the Corinthian church, and we're going to see this Jerusalem church in a moment. So the Macedonian, Macedonia was a northern Roman province of Greece. Paul referred to the churches at Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. This was an impoverished province that had been ravaged by many wars and even then was being plundered by Roman authorities and commerce. The result was extreme poverty as well as persecution. So that's the only thing I want you to think about. When, when you think about the Macedonian church, think about poverty, plundering, and persecution. They were hurting people. They were hurting church. They were a hurting group of Christians. They didn't have the wealth. Like the second group, uh, the church, was at Corinth. Now, Corinth was a different story. Uh, they had the harbors. And you can see where Corinth is. And because of that, they had great wealth. Corinth was a very wealthy city. And most likely the church, many of those people would have been saved out of uh, paganism. And therefore, the church itself would have been wealthy. So you had the... Uh, the Macedonian church would have been very poor. The Corinthian church would have been very, very wealthy in comparison. And then you had the third church. If you, if you, you don't have to turn there, but Romans 15 verse 25 says, But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For 4 verse 26, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. See, Paul shared with the churches of Macedonia and, and was telling them about the uh, poverty that was happening in the church in Jerusalem. And, and you might say, well, why did the Jerusalem church have such problems? Well, well, just think about what, 
Remember what happens on, on Acts 2, day of Pentecost? All these pilgrims, and that's what they were. They were pilgrims coming from the Gentile nations to Jerusalem for the feast. And all of a sudden, Peter stands up, preaches, and they get saved. Now think about that. They come as Jews. They're standing before Peter, and now they're Christians. And, and these, these Christians... Many of them would not go, even go back to their families that they were staying with in Jerusalem. The, the families didn't want anything to do with them once they turned to Jesus, right? Jews had a major problem with Christians. And so all these, remember how many were saved on the first day, what? First day of Pentecost. 3,000, right? Was it 3,000? Then, then more later on. Then another time it says 5,000. I mean, thousands and thousands of Christians are converted. And, but they can't go back to their Jewish families. Jewish families don't want anything to do with them. What are you talking about? You, you know, you're saying this one that, you know, we, and, and that we killed him? You know. On top of that, there was obviously persecution. And Jerusalem itself was, if you want to say it this way, uh, plundered or pilfered by the Roman government. Constantly extracting taxes. Very, very poor. So again, you have the Jerusalem church that was also very poor financially. Not poor uh, spiritually, but poor as far as financially. And yet, and this is the big story. Oh, no longer the map. Um, The big story is this, in the big storyline. That the churches of Macedonia, even out of their deep poverty, were willing to give so that their brothers in Jerusalem would have. Okay? One poor church giving to another poor church so that they might be provided for. And, and Paul is sharing this story in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, what's interesting about this passage is you're not even going to find the word giving, at least in my version. He talks about giving. He's talking about sacrifice, never uses the word. He's going to use a couple key words, though, and you're going to see as we go through here. In fact, let's get right into it. Uh, as one man said, it was a hard sell with a soft approach. He doesn't, he doesn't specify, I want you to sacrifice your money for the church in Jerusalem. But that's what he's talking about throughout the entire passage. It was a hard sell with a soft approach. Let's look at some uh, biblical characteristics of giving. Characteristics of biblical giving. The first one is this, and you find in verse 1. Biblical giving, it is motivated by the grace of God. It is motivated by the grace of God. And you see that right off. It says, uh, uh, moreover, brethren, again, family, this is family talk. This is family hour, as it were. We make known to you the grace of God. I want to show you the grace of God. Paul's saying, listen, I want to show you how God's grace is more than enough in your life. And again, he's going to use the, uh, the, how it was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, that very, very poor, persecuted church. It's the grace of God. Giving is motivated by God's grace. Your giving should be motivated by God's grace. And I'm going to say this two or three times. It is not, it is not motivated because you bought into the idea of a tithe. Now, I know when I say that immediately, oh, you just shot yourself in the foot, John. See, it would be very easy if I absolutely believed that the tithe was biblical to just say, you know what, you need to give 10%. If you're not giving 10%, you're, as Malachi 3.8 says, robbing God. But that's not the approach in the New Testament. The approach in the New Testament is, you know what's driving your giving? Grace. 
God's unmerited favor and the joy that we get from the fact that God has been gracious to us. That's what should be driving it. This, this word grace, charis, charis, is actually appears nine times in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now think about that. One word <laughs> appears nine times, seven times in chapter 8 and two times in chapter 9. It's just all over the place. Why? Because Paul keeps wanting to go back to this fact. Why do you want to sacrifice? Why do you want to give of your time, your talents, your giftedness, and even of your money to the Lord? Why? Because he has been so gracious to us. Is that a good motivator? Well, you might say, you know what, even a better motivator? Put it like this. If you don't give, he's not pleased with you. Well, I, I, I could say that. I believe each Christian should give. That's like, well, say 10% because that way it actually specifies. Then I know how much I can keep. No, it's not about that. It's about heart attitude. It's about the fact that our hearts are overflowing because he has been gracious to us and we know that this earth is just a moment of time, a dot in time, that eternity is the line and that we want to sacrifice and give to him because he has so, been so gracious to us. Look at how many times. Verse 1, grace of God. Verse 4, actually in verse 4, your translation either translated gift or favor probably. Gift or favor, but it's the same exact words. It's grace. Charis. Uh, how about verse uh, 6? Grace. Verse 7. Grace. Verse 9. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16. But thanks be to God. Same word. Grace. 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 Verse 19 is translated in most uh, either gracious work or the gift. But the point is it's the same word. Paul keeps drawing back in two more times in chapter 9. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. And when I consider giving what the Lord has uh, allowed me to manage, I need to put that... That's the motivator. Lord, you've been so gracious to me. I want to be, I want to be gracious to those around. So it's motivated by grace. Second one is this. Biblical giving continues even in the worst of circumstances. Again, look at verse 2. That in a, in, in a great... Mega, in a great trial of affliction, <coughs> in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. The great trial of affliction. And again, he's referring back to the Macedonian churches. That word great trial. That word trial is, um, well, great is large. The word trial, though, is kind of interesting. It's, it's the word, uh, uh, the root of it is where you get dakamas, which is uh, uh, back then they would have, and I've told you the story before, the, they would have money changers. Money changers were those, you know, they didn't have a standard currency, but they would have uh, certain uh, dubious individuals who would take like a golden coin and shave just a little bit of gold off of each coin. And so instead of, let's say, being an ounce, it no longer was an ounce, it was seven-eighths of an ounce. And they'd have their little pile and, you know. And the dakamas was those who were approved. Those were the uh, handlers of, of money that were approved. Approved being this way. They certified that the coinage that you got from them was what it's supposed to be. So if it was supposed to be in one-ounce gold, it was a one-ounce gold. Dakamas. That same word... I mean, this, that's the root of this word right here. That, and so it kind of goes like this. The great trial. What do you mean? 
In other words, the hardship that they were enduring was a proving ground of their true heart attitude. I mean, let's face it. In a Macedonian situation, who would come along and say, we want you to sacrifice after they're already going through poverty and persecution and pilfering from the Roman government, right? You'd say, you know what, you get a pass on... on." But what Paul does, he says, look at this. Look at them. Look at them give. It is a proof of the grace of God in their life. That's how he's meaning it. So, biblical giving continues even in the worst of circumstances. Look at this. It's not only a great trial, but a great trial of affliction. That word affliction means pressing together. It was used of the crushing of grapes. Now, I like that because I grew up on a grape farm. Although I never did the whole grape thing, you know, like in the, you know, you see in Italy where they're all like dancing around with dirty feet in your grape juice. Come on, whatever. But the point is, is that word was used of the crushing of grapes. Now, that's a pretty good picture. You ever feel crushed? You ever feel crushed by this world? You ever feel crushed even financially or relationally? Something is crushing you? I remember sometimes talking to young couples or couples going through financial problems. Quite honestly, sometimes I didn't give them, uh, as I look back, I wonder if I gave them true biblical counsel. Oh, I know you're having a hard time financially. You know, and God doesn't require the tithe. Um, you can just, you know, just give a little. You know, maybe that wasn't the right advice. You know what? These Christians, though they were in great trial of affliction, still willingly sacrificed. There's no time in our life that we should give nothing. Now, again, and I, and I know some may say, oh, I totally disagree with you on your, your view of the tithe. Think of the tithe as a tax. Think of the tithe in the Old Testament as a tax for the theocracy of Israel. You had to give. And actually, the tithe was more than 10%. They had two annual tithes and a tithe every third year. When you add it all up, it was about 23%. They gave 23%. That was their tax for the nation of Israel, the theocracy, for it to manage itself, right? But you also had in the Old Testament something else. Free will giving, uh, giving, free will giving, right? Free, free will offering. And if you, as one author said, if you think of the tax, excuse me, the tithe as a tax for the government, think of the, think of the free will offering as the giving to God Himself. It wasn't it wasn't mandated. It was free will. All right, you gave your twenty three percent. You gave your two tithes. You gave your. Third, every third year to the poor, uh, the third, ta- uh, third tax, third tithe. Now, would you like to give anything else to the Lord? No, it's all the rest for me. No, no. Even in the Old Testament, there was an opportunity to give specifically, not out of mandate, just out of heart. Called free will offering. So again, this, that's what the Macedonians, they weren't demanding, Paul did not demand that they give. But they wanted to. In fact, you're going to see how much they wanted to in a moment. So, biblical giving continues even in the worst of circumstances. In fact, I think that's where, again, the true proving, the true genuineness of the heart is shown. Um, again, this is not, if you read any of this in this message, you, you are misunderstanding me. There is no prosperity theology here. I am not advocating give to get. Give a, you know, $10 as a seed offering so that you might get $1,000. No, no. 
I'm saying this. God, this, this you could say it this way. God won't be outgiven. God gives you something to manage. He says, manage it for me. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'll be back. Right? <laughs> day, day of the Lord, the uh, Bema. But now, we have to do it. Right? We just have to be a good steward. We have to be a good manager. And it's a proving ground as far as what our hearts really are like before the Lord. So, great trial of affliction. Oh, they were oppressed, they were afflicted, they were in tribulation, they were in distress. By the way, if you ever want to read more about that, just 2 Corinthians chapter 1, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about that, verses like 3 to 8. Um, they, they had great persecution, and yet they were very, very faithful church. I, get, I say Thessalonians because they're one of the examples of the Macedonian Christians. Okay, how about third biblical principle? Biblical giving must be done with sincere joy. Verse 2, the abundance of their joy. It's interesting that that word joy has the root form of that is grace. It's another, it's not exact word, but it's the root of that is the word grace. Again, we get our joy from the grace that God has given to us. Joy is, again, a divine gift from God to believers. And that's part of that wealth I was referring to. I'm not talking about $10 and you get 1000 But God will not be outdone by our giving. He gives and we give. And many times the, the gift that comes back to us is not in the form of finances. So you say, well, what would it be? It's in the form of joy. It's in the form of peace. Because the world only knows joy in good circumstance and peace in good circumstance. And yet God gives us peace and joy even if the circumstances don't line up with what the world says should be joyous, right? We can have joy and peace in the midst of all kinds of different negative circumstances. God gives, God gives. And yet here, it was through the abundance of their joy. I looked up the word joy as far as like a, a, a definition. Uh, John MacArthur said this, always, joy is this, always to signify a feeling of happiness that is based on spiritual realities. The joy and the happiness that you find, the blessedness that you experience is because of spiritual reality. So like put it together. The Macedonian Christians, this is what it was. They were so thankful to be brought from the very pit of hell and saved and made children of God and join heirs with Christ. You know, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. They were so grateful, so grateful, so grateful that he, God had saved, that that's the spiritual reality. That's what was bringing joy. And, and because they saw how God had been so gracious, I just want to share. I want to help my brethren. <clears throat> I want to sacrifice for God's people. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, next chapter, verse 7 says, Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's that joy. They were cheerful. They weren't like begrudging it. They weren't like, oh, oh, Paul brought up another need. Why did we have that guy speak here anyways? <laughs> no, they were... You know, I've told you before, that word cheerful is hilarious. <laughs> Give me it. Let me, let me have part in, in helping with the need. Now, do you understand that by you giving in the offering today, 
you may not even eat tonight. I remember when I was in India last couple years ago, one of the offerings that one of the poor uh, widows, and I think she was a widow, I don't think she had a husband, she brought a sack of rice. Didn't have money. Brought, and what they do is, when they take a scoop, what she was doing, if I understand the story right, when, they, when she took a scoop for, to prepare, prepare her meal, which was rice, I mean, basically, that's all they lived on was rice. And, I mean, we, li- we ate like kings when we were in India for those 10, whatever, 10 11 days. Whatever. <clears throat> and we just had chicken, and I say just, but I'm just saying in comparison to, we had chicken, I don't think we ever had beef, I think we had goat, you know, things like that. They didn't get any of that. That was just rice for them. But she would take out a, for me, and then some for the Lord. And she would accumulate through the week and then at the week. And they would bring, she would bring that to the church, which would help support the pastor. So if you show up with rice next week, I know what I'll be eating for the... But that's the whole point, sacrifice. Um, so sacrifice. They had joy. In fact, an old... Uh, an old um, Lutheran commentator, uh, Lenski, said this, they made a joy of robbing themselves. And I thought when I read that, wow. I don't want anybody. I find it hard. I give. <laughs> but when you bring it up to the area of sacrifice, I find that so difficult. I'm just telling you, I find that so difficult. Okay, I have this, 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 and I have my ten things that I want, let's say. But... Yeah, I have those 10 things. I'll give her the excess. No, no, he's not talking about giving her the excess. He's talking of giving her the necessity, right? Giving out of, out of the things that are even necessary. So, biblical giving is done with sincere joy. Number four, biblical giving must be generous. Second part of verse two, abounded or overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They just abounded, it overflowed in their wealth, the New American says. When Paul writes... Uh, the wealth of their generosity. He is not, and this is very, 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 very important, he is not thinking of material riches. Wealth should be understand, understood spiritually there. So when he says they're over, abound, abounded in the wealth of their liberality, the wealth there is not finance. And I looked that up. I kept, you know, I started doing a, a word study to make sure that's true. It, 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 I don't know if it ever refers to wealth. It's always the spiritual reality. Paul is saying, because they knew they were so spiritually rich is why they were willing to release, uh, for our purposes, the money. In fact, just a few places where that word wealth appears. Ephesians 1.7, the riches of his grace. Verse 18 of Ephesians 1, that your eyes would be enlightened. Now think about that. Your eyes would be enlightened. That your eyes would truly see. Your, your eyes of your heart would truly understand. And know, quote, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Okay? That we would really understand how God has so blessed us spiritually. And then, again, in Ephesians 2, verse 7. The riches of his grace. Just a repeat of verse 7 of chapter 1. Okay, the riches, the riches. But those riches there, that wealth, is not physical, it's spiritual. They were just abounded in the wealth of their liberality. They understood how rich they were in Christ. But the word liberality now does bring it over to the giving part, okay? But that word liberality... Literally talks about the idea of a singleness of heart. In other words, when they gave, they didn't give like this. 
We need to... Okay, offering plate. By the way, we don't have an offering plate. I've often wondered if that was a, if that's a uh, positive or a negative. Uh, I know some of you are, hmm, well, this church has been founded on no offering plate. Well, okay, I got it, you know. Hey, if you want to give, it's right in the back in the boxes, right? But one thing I, I hope that you kids know, I'm looking at you kids now. Do you understand that giving is a part of worship? I hope you get that, because I'm not sure if we're teaching that real good, right? Right? Because it's back there, you never see it. I mean, it's one thing to put it... I mean, the way I give is kind of even unique beyond that. It's there, I understand it. I mean, you can ask Dale, this is what he gives. But the point is, is this. It, there's something to be said when the offering plate is passed. But see, this is what they were doing. Liberality, singleness of heart. When they gave, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I could give. Not this. Oh, what am I going to now have to do without because I just gave to them? You ever been like that? Yeah, sometimes we do like that, right? We get in, by the way, that's why I'm not going to have an altar call. Hey, how many of you have never been given? You need to you know, get right. You need to go home, think about it, pray about it. God, put it in my heart. Make it so that it is a single focus in my heart. This is what you're calling me to do. I don't want it to be done by emotion. Why? You'll change. Get angry, bitter. Oh, he just manipulated me to get forward, so I would... It's not about that. You're going to see that in a minute. But see, they were... They abounded in, their, in the wealth of their liberality. Abounded in their wealth, well spiritually. They were spiritually rich, but then they were willing to do it with a singleness of heart. That's the word liberality. A singleness of heart and undivided simplicity. Not double-minded commitment. You know, not double-minded, but a, a true commitment. There wasn't hypocrisy in their giving. There wasn't an ulterior motivation, a hidden agenda, anything like that. They just wanted to give. They loved God so much and his people so much, they just wanted to give to God's people. And then number six, uh, biblical giving is personal. Look at verse three. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability. That's sacrificial right there, beyond their ability. But notice the two words, uh, there. Their ability, their ability. That's why I want to emphasize, not a tithe. By the way, if it was a tithe, it'd be very easy for me to preach, right? Do it or you're not pleasing to God, right? You don't have to have hard attitude. You don't need the Spirit of God in your life. Just give because that's what God has told. Do you see what he's doing in the New Testament? John, got to talk to you about something. Yeah, Lord. Been looking at your giving lately. Is it from the heart? Has it been driven by me? Is it because of spiritualities and everything I'm doing in your life? Is that why you're giving, John? By the way, I've had a talk to the Lord this week on this. <laughs> Lord, I want to be driven by your spirit. Again, it's personal between him and I. Look at verse 12. According to what a man has, not according to what he doesn't have. It was, it was sacrificial. Am I calling you to absolutely at this moment be sacrificial? That's between you and God. That is totally between you and God. See, in Corinthians chapter 16, it says, uh, as he may prosper. 
And Corinthians 16 is, oh, I should tell you this. When Paul did his uh, missionary journeys, he had come to Corinth before. He had set it up that he was going to take an offering. You find that the first time he mentioned it is 1 first, is first Corinthians chapter 16. Now this is 2 Corinthians. This is about a year or, some, or, or plus later. And he's reminding them. In fact, you're going to see that in a moment in the text. He's reminding them. Remember, talk to you about the offering and bringing it up again. But it's as God has prospered you. See, this is the point. What is a great amount to some of us is a pittance. <laughs> pittance. Pittance? No. A pittance to a lot of us, right? They say of our uh, LG Laternal that he gave 90%. Well, yeah, he was a multi, multi, multi millionaire. But we don't want to do percentages. Because for some people, giving 10%, 15%, 20%, hey, I still have all this other stuff. For others, to give 5%, to give that amount of proportion, wow. And then for others, they say, you know what, I could do it, but I'm gonna, my, my lifestyle has to change. Because I can't have this and they have that and do all of it, you know. By the way, do you realize this, that you can only spend money once? <laughs> I've watched some people and I wonder if they really understand that. But the point is, is, you know, if I'm going to give it here, I can't spend it there, that type of thing. So it was personal. Beyond what would be normally expected from a poor believer. That's what he means by beyond their ability. And then number seven, the biblical giving is voluntary. They were freely, freely willing. They gave of their own accord, New American says. But, but, but not only were they freely willing, look at this, verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation. Some of your versions say a fellowship, partnership, fellowship, participation in the support of the saints. You know, it's like Paul's walking out of the church <laughs> and they grab a hold of it. No, Paul, you can't leave yet. We want to give. They're back. No, Paul, I, we want to be, we want to have part in this, in this offering to the Jerusalem church. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's given a great example to the Corinthians. And, you know, I'm sure Paul is like, well, so what are you going to do? You live in one of the wealthiest cities of Greece. You have the great harbors that bring in all the merchandise from, a, from, from around the entire known world. You guys are wealthy. Look at, look at the example of the poor Macedonians. So they gave voluntarily. They begged Paul. It wasn't Paul begging. See, it says begging us. He's not, that's not Paul begging them. It's the Macedonians begging Paul and saying, Lord, or Paul, we want to have part in sacrificing for our brethren. One guy said this. We often hear the cry for the need for more fellowship. That may say something about our giving. Since giving is one of the key ways we share together with other believers. If your giving is not what it ought to be biblically, you will have a sense of isolation, a sense of not belonging to the group. To say, quote, I don't feel I have enough fellowship, end quote, may say something about your giving. That word um, fellowship is the word koinonia, okay? In other words, they're saying as, as we give, as we participate, we are joining ourselves in, in heart to the believers over in Macedonia. Uh, the writer of Hebrews 13 says this, Do not forget 
to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. See, we look at it as, a, as, a, as an investment. It's part of fellowship. And, 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 and by the way, the Jerusalem church itself was doing this. I don't want you to think that the Jerusalem church were just gimme, 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 gimme. Because we find in chapter 2, uh, verse 40. In fact, why don't you turn there real quick. Uh, chapter 2, let me if I can find it here. Uh, uh, then fear came upon them, and I believe, together... And they had verse 44, they had all things in common. Look at this, verse 45. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. What was, what, that is not a doctrine of common, or, uh, communism. Okay, guys, if you're going to be biblical, let's all sell our wealth. Just bring it to the church, lay it at the elders' feet. No, no. Think about the situation in Jerusalem. All these people had gone saved. They had nowhere. They didn't even have a place to stay after their money ran out. And people said, "Man, there's such a great need." The people there were actually sacrificing what they had. If you go over to chapter four, verse thirty-two, and the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Go down to verse uh, thirty. Five And they laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one uh, who had need. Now again, I am not advocating you do that. We are talking about heavy persecution, starvation, the, 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 the believers had need. But, but notice the fellowship that they had. Notice how they looked at each other as family, spiritual family. Right now, America is still rich. But we don't know how much longer that's going to happen, right? I mean, we all agree we're on a different path than we have been for the last 100 years. But do we look at each other as family and would we be willing to sacrifice for the good of another? Especially a brother, I would hope. So all of what I'm telling you is voluntary. Voluntary. And then final two more. Biblical giving must be a part of worship. Look at verse 5. But they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's the kicker. (laughs) Motivated by grace, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. Lord, you're king and I'm not. (laughs) You're Lord and I'm your servant. And I'm giving myself to you. In other words, like Romans 12 says, a living sacrifice. That's what they were, a living sacrifice. And therefore... They just saw what they were doing as the second part of Romans 12 to spiritual service of worship. And by the way, in giving like that, you also have to trust your leaders, right? I think of uh, Hebrews 13 where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them or they keep watch over your soul. But just the fact of being able to trust your leaders. You know, when I give to missions, are they trustworthy? Are they going to use the money for missions the way they ought to it? When I give money to the general fund, do the leaders... Are they good stewards? Financial good stewards. And then finally, verse 7. This giving occurs because of Christian virtue. But as, just as you know, and again, he's talking to the Corinthians here, right? He's writing the letter to the Corinthians. But as you abound in everything, now and then he names some things, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us. By the way, was the Corinthian church... A good model church. No, they were carnal and factious. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? 
But yet Paul, and by the way, the Corinthians had a major rift with Paul. So much so that he, he didn't want to go see them again. I mean, he had, he had been severely hurt by this church. Uh, apparently what had happened sometime back was a, uh, a person stood up, accused Paul of all kinds of sins fall, uh, falsely, and nobody in the church even stood up and defended him. He was mightily hurt. We're going to have a message on that in about three weeks. But the point is, this was not like some model church. And yet, even to these believers, he was saying, you know, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Do you see that in the second part of verse 7? In this grace, he didn't even mention giving. Like I said, the word giving is not there. But he just keeps using this word grace. Has God been gracious to you? Has God uh, blessed you with every spiritual riches, all the spiritual riches in, in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus? Well, if you're growing, look at verse 8. And I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love. That's, that's that word dakamazo, the, the one that I was telling you about with the coin. I'm testing. This is a test. That's what wealth is. Wealth is just a, a test. He gives us wealth to show us where we really stand with trust and belief and hope in the Lord. Do we trust the wealth? Do we trust Him? See, but, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. And then he ends with the, the great example of our Lord. For we know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, by the way, spiritually, laid aside all, for, uh, Philippians chapter 2 talks about, laid aside his attributes in the sense of his, 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 the use of, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So he ends with the example of Jesus Christ. I don't know if I should give. Be like Christ. What do you mean be like Christ? He was rich. Gave up all the heavenly, I mean all that, you know, the admiration, the worship, all in that sense. He came to this earth veiled. (laughs) So now we turn, and let me just close real quickly. So he's been given all this. This is what the Macedonians did. Okay? Now he turns and says, well, how about you? you? What would the Corinthians do? And in this, I give advice. Do you see that? And in this, I give opinion. That's why I say, I love this passage because it doesn't put pressure on me as the preacher. Supposed to tithe. Get them to tithe. No, Paul just looks at the Corinthians, these wealthy Christians. And in this, I give advice. I just counsel, not a command. And just let me give you three. First of all, Give so as to be faithful to your commitments. That's the first thing of advice that he gives. Look at the second part of verse 10. It is to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. Remember when I came through the first time? You said you were going to give. That's the contribution of 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4. I'm just asking you to hold to your commitments. Give so as to be faithful to your commitments. Verse 11, but now you also must complete the doing of it. In other words, you had some good intentions. You got all emotional. Yeah, we got to give to those you know, poor Jerusalem uh, Christians. But now I want you to finish. Finish what you began. Complete it. And that there are, was a readiness to, to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. But Paul is saying it this way. He's not saying, listen, I need your money. He's saying this. You need to give because it benefits you. That's what he means. Now, over in Philippians chapter 4, 
This is after the Philippian Christians had given Paul an offering. Now, this is, a whole, this is one of the churches of Macedonia, but they had given Paul an offering. This is what he says to them as, as they're considering in verse uh, 17 of Philippians 4. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. See, it's not just I, I'm looking for the gift and it's for my own personal. I'm, I'm asking you to give because it abounds to your account. When? In eternity. So the way giving happens is this. Giving benefits the receiver in the present and the, and the giver in the future. The receiver in the present and the, uh, the giver in the, in the future. That's how giving happens. It's as 2 Corinthians 9. If you sow sparingly, you'll, you will what? Reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Again, spiritually. Spiritually, I'm not advocating, you know, give $10 and you get 1000 That's prosperity theology that is absolutely wrong. But I will say this. Our God will not be outgiven. Our God will not be outgiven. And I'm not talking financially. I'm saying spiritually. He will not be outgiven. Number two, verse 12. Give with eagerness from the heart. Because it says, for if there is first a willing mind, and that word mind is prothumii, and the word thumii means passion. Just think of it that way. It's passion. Yeah! You know, some of you are real passionate about the bills. Yeah, they're going to win. Oh, but... No, I like the bills. But the point is, is passion. They were willing, a willing mind, a passionate mind, according to what one has. They were passionate about this, you know, or they should be, <laughs> for I do not, again, according to what, uh, for if there is first a willing mind. He is saying, listen, I don't want you to give because you feel guilty, because you think you're going to get something back physically, like a prosperity theology. I want you to have a willing mind. I want you to be passionate about it. And then finally, give so as to show that you belong to and are part of the body of Christ. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, verse 14, that now at the, this time your abundance may supply their lack, that the abundance also may supply your lack, or their abundance may also supply your lack. There's an equality. God gives at one time to one person to meet the need of another, and then later on that one, so to meet the need. And the idea is not communism, but the equality is this. I care about my brothers and sisters. Macedonian church, or churches, do you care about your brothers? Yes. Then give to the Jerusalem church. Turns over Corinthians. Are you willing to give also sacrificially? Now again, it's, it's not the percentage. If you just finish up with Mark chapter 12. Remember the, uh, the story of Ma uh, Mark 12? It's the widow's might. And he had just said to the Pharisees, or the religious leaders, they devour widows' homes. What do you mean? Well, because they were religious leaders, a lot of times they would give counsel to the widows and basically extract their wealth. They literally devour their homes. But then Jesus watched, he sat opposite the treasury and, and saw how the people put money into the treasury and, and many who were rich put in much. The rich put in much. But then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. And when I was in Israel years ago, I bought one. Just worth an eighth of a cent. So you put in two, that's a quarter of a cent. 
And this is what he said. He called his disciples together to himself and said, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. He put that two, two little mites, that quarter of a cent, as being more than everybody else that had dropped money in. Her two equaled more than all this other that was dropped in. Well, not in the mount of on the mounts. Well, why does he say that? For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You know, as we give, again, it's not the percentage. It is the proportion. It, it's, it's saying this, Lord, I just love you so much. I want to be, I want to show the grace that you have given to me, okay? By the way, this all leads to the, uh, not just giving general fund, not just giving, you know, family life ministry and all that, but also today, specifically, the purpose was the promise, the faith promise offering. And, and, and by the way, I'm not going to have you fill it out right now, right? It's not about emotion. It needs to be freely willing. It needs to be passionate. This is what I want to do. I can see it as an investment. I can see how God is leading me. Lord, you've been so gracious. I want to participate in those who are carrying the gospel beyond the Alfred, Allman, Hornell, Canisteo area. Greenwood, let's go in Greenwood. But I, what I would encourage you to do is this week, pray about that. Again, it's not about money. God does not need your money. By the way, you have none. <laughs> Isn't it wrong to say like God doesn't need your money? We don't have any money, right? Everything we have is his. But God wants you to be generous with the money that he has allotted to your care as a manager. He does want you, because he is, this is why. Because our God is so gracious and so giving that he is just like this. And, and I can't wait to have this young, this believer stand before me because I'm going to be able to reward him so richly because he was willing to trust me while he was on this earth. I, I think for, for the Lord, he is he, you think we're looking for the Biba? The judgment day? It is nothing like he. I mean, if you're a parent, you get the little bit of a drip. Don't you love when your kid succeeds and you can like... Man, you did a great job. Yeah. My boy did a really great job just recently. Big old piece of uh, wood. Whack. And I could see the... Yeah, you did a good job, boy. You, you split that wood well. That's, that's the Lord and so much more. He is, he's setting you up for a great judgment day at the Bema seat. You just got to be faithful here on earth. Let's stand as we worship him.